0: This episode of The Pace Line is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, so you deserve lower life insurance rates. Check out healthiq.com paceline to learn just how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now, on to the show. On
1: the pace line, we attempt to settle the great debate, lycra or baggies, and we turn to a clothing designer for help.
2: We're not going after the guys that are, are racing every day, you know, and the guys that are racing, they're not, you know, 99% of the time, they're, they're training. Right. And, you know, that's why swimmers wear, uh, you know, they wear their drag suits. It's other athlete, every other athlete wears, they're not wearing their racing suit and trying to be as fast as they can to go out for a great ride and hit it hard and enjoy it with your friends.
1: And what if there was a lotion that could allow you to push harder? Well, there might be.
3: We put them on the bike, we put them through the exact same test twice um, and measured blood lactate levels. Uh, and and what we were trying to see is what is the difference? And uh, and we showed that we were able to, uh, to lower blood lactate by almost 18%.
1: Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, holiday edition. Uh, We've hung our cycling socks on the fireplace with care, with the hopes that someone (laughs) will shove a pair of Zip 454 NSWs in them Mm. as best they can. (laughs) Thanks for finding us. We have a fantastic little show for you. A reminder that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. The Pace Line, also voiced by the fat cyclist, a.k.a. Fatty, who has uh, recently folded his blog into the home of the paceline, Red Kite Prayer? So, fatty, uh, how do I drop your reference now? Is it FatCyclist.com? Are you fatty with RKP? Where do I where do I establish you?
0: Fatty with RKP works good for me. I mean, that's uh, I just put up my first post uh, yesterday evening, and it's actually about World Bicycle Relief, and I am pretty excited about the generosity that RKP and Friends of Fatty have been showing so far for the WBR Grand Slam, and I'll talk a little bit more about the prizes when we get to my paceline pick, but we have raised $4,249 in the first 12 hours.
1: Outstanding.
0: I know. It rocks. (laughs) It really does. But just as an Uh, aside, have you ever actually put your cycling socks on a heater to dry off, like in a hotel room? It's a bad Duh. idea. <laughs> I would imagine the smell would be the bad idea. It's correct? a fast way to lose friends. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Understood. Yeah, I'll, I'll refrain
0: next time. I'm in a holiday <laughs> in.
1: And so, Fanny, now that you're on RKP, does that make Patrick your boss?
0: No, okay. it makes. Me,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, not. It makes, not. It
0: makes me Patrick's boss. <laughs> it, was, it was a hostile takeover.
1: Ah, okay. <laughs> Patrick Brady, of course, the publisher of Red Kite Prayer. So how's it going, guys? How is this merger of blog giants progressing, and,
4: and what's been the reaction? You know, the reaction has been tremendous. Um, Fatty's readers have just been the loveliest bunch uh, <laughs> of of new, um, shall we say, blogging immigrants. Um You know, they've come, they've, uh, they've commented, uh, it's been cordial, um, they've had questions, you know, they're curious, Mm -hmm. um, I got some emails because we had a a spam filter that wasn't letting some people, uh, comment and we got that straightened out and I wouldn't have known if, if the new readers hadn't bothered to tell me that, you know, they weren't able to get through, Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's just tremendous interaction with the, with the readers, um. I'm really gratified for this. I'm a very lucky guy.
0: And I've got to say that uh, my readers uh, for my final post that I put up, uh, and it's still there on FatCyclist.com if you want to check it out, uh, around 165 people have left uh, thank you comments uh, for the 12 years that I wrote over there, and have really uh, been very touching. Uh, Honestly, I've had to kind of read them in small batches, uh, and I'm replying in small batches just because um, I, the generosity and kindness that people have shown is a little overwhelming. I, I tell you, cycling people are the best people, and the generosity and community that uh, we have uh, on, our, on our little independent sites I think is uh, the best that the Internet has to offer, and I mean that yeah. completely without hyperbole.
1: Yeah, this yeah. is not this is not unlike being on a ride and you're riding along, mm-hmm. maybe you're with friends, maybe you're not, you run into another group, you join up, you say, Hey, how's it going? Good, where are you going? We're going this way. Everyone, now suddenly the fat cyclist Peloton and the RKP Peloton, they've merged, they've come together, they're riding in the same direction. Yep. And suddenly we're all having the same conversation or different conversations within our group, but now we're just one massive Sure. Pace line or Peloton moving along.
0: New voices, same conversation, and uh, kicking off by doing some good. I mean, this is, you know, what we're doing with World Bicycle Relief is my sort of first foray into RKP is really gratifying to see.
4: Mm -hmm. Cool. It's really cool. And if I may, I I really need to take a moment to say what a remarkable thing it is that, you know, we've both developed independently – Readerships that are just utterly troll-free in mm-hmm. the comments. Yeah, um, it hadn't occurred to me that one of the reasons that Fat Cyclist and RKP would be a good fit was because we had already taken the time to cultivate, you know, a civil discourse in our comments sections, and um, yeah, to see that blossom the way it has, um, dude, it's it's just tremendous.
0: It really is nice to see. Um, one of the things that I was real clear about right from the beginning, and what you've been real clear about is, I, I always phrased it as living room rules. You're welcome to say anything on my comment section that you would say to me in my living room. Um, yeah. and, I called
4: it a dinner party.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, and really same kind of same kind of thing, right? Uh, if you wouldn't say it face to face at my home, don't say it at all. Um, mm-hmm. And people understand that, and you know, for the most part, you just don't see. The trolling that you uh, see elsewhere on the web and yeah so these are folks who maybe come from different places but they already have a, in many ways the same culture so yeah i mean we're, we're patting on ourselves we're patting ourselves on the back perhaps a little too soon but it sure seems like uh, it sure seems like a good fit and i'm really looking forward to uh our audiences getting to know each other better
1: well, it's really interesting you guys uh, bring up civility mm-hmm. because there seems to be a lack of it right now between two major groups. I'm talking about the organizers of our favorite Grand Tours, uh, the Vuelta, <laughs> the Tour de France, and of course the Giro, and the Tour of Flanders uh, as well, and the UCI. Yeah, uh, These two groups have decided to uh, stage a battle, an email battle, and a social media battle over the number of riders per team that should be allowed in the races. And cl- In case you haven't heard, the three Grand Tours and the Tour of Flanders are reducing team sizes permitted in their respective races. The Tour de France, Giro and Vuelta, going from nine to eight riders, and Flanders going from eight to seven. There's a written statement from the General Assembly of the International Association of Cycling Race Organizers, a, also known as AIOCC, they cited two major reasons for this change. This would be the race organizers. The first being to improve the safety conditions for the riders with a smaller peloton on roads equipped with more and more street furniture. The uh, second, which is a, a fortunate consequence of, of the first, is to make it more difficult to dominate a race, as well as enhance conditions for events to offer better racing for cycling fans. Um, definition there, stop Sky from winning the Tour de France. <coughs> uh, the, UC, the UCI has issued a short statement in response rejecting this change. UCI stated that team sizes would remain the same for the 2017 season in direct opposition to the race organizers' statement. These meetings, these discussions have not taken place in the same room. In other words, the race organizi- organizers and the UCI have not been meeting on this subject. It was just one telling the other how it would be.
0: Yeah. And that's the whole um, problem, isn't it? It is. Yeah.
4: It, yeah. It's but, and it can I just point out how ludicrous it is for the race organizers to say, "Oh, fewer racers will make it safer." No, what they need is better signage for the road furniture and they need better trained motorcycle drivers and fewer motorcycles. The riders aren't what has made Uh, the racing unsafe. And so pinning all this on the riders and saying, well, you've got to have fewer riders to make it safe. Look, you can make a reasonable uh, argument for why you might want fewer racers on the road, but posing it as one of safety is completely unreasonable because they're not the source of the accidents.
0: Yeah. I would say even one level up from that is where the real problem is. If you tell people what they're going to do And don't give them an opportunity to discuss and feedback, then you're never going to have the optimal situation. And that's what's happening here, right? I, I don't think that, you know, Vaters in particular is fundamentally opposed to having fewer racers, but he is fundamentally opposed, and rightly so, to being told when it's too late for him to make those adjustments before, you know, for this season. It's, yeah, yeah. it's it's too late you know it's like oh hey we've decided that your plane needs to have a different kind of landing gear uh, can you please take care of that before you land your plane
1: right yeah, we we've, <laughs> we've taken the deck of cards and reduced it from 52 to 48 uh-huh. deal yeah. no that's not how it works they've signed contracts they've yeah. planned yeah. training camps they've laid out rider goals based on having nine in a grand tour or eight in a world landers. and look as far as the racing is racing safety is concerned when there's a fight for a front, there's a fight for the front. I don't care if you have nine or eight or five riders left on your team. If you're going to fight for a small piece of road, there's going to be a fight. And no, and those tiny roads in Europe have a hard enough time supporting 140 riders, let alone 190 or whatever the number may be. So there's still going to be a fight for the front. And the other point is that, look, we're trying to even the playing field somehow here. Uh, uh, skyproof maybe the Grand Tours. Sky, or whoever spends the money, is still going to have the dominant team, whether they have four riders or nine riders. They're just going to have the stronger team, and that's that. So I don't know how reducing the side is going to have any effect on that. But uh, looks like these two sides need to get together. They they need a little RKP fat cyclist uh, diplomacy,
0: don't they?
4: Yeah. Well, they need some diplomacy, even if it's not our <laughs> variety. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: But, yeah, have, having an open discussion in a civil way as opposed to a top-down, uh, one-way communication would definitely get them on the right track.
1: Guys, also in the area of a competition, something I think we're going to have to deal with more often on an amateur and professional level is the inclusion of transgenders in races. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the secrecy regarding gay cyclists in the pro peloton here on the Pace Line. But that secrecy does not apply, apparently, to transgenders, who some of whom have been quite open about their situation. Uh, Jillian Bearden uh, is uh, an open transgender. She won the 106-mile Tour de Tucson in 4 hours, 36 minutes, 7 seconds. Uh, she rode for the Southern Arizona Gender Alliance. It's called Saga, to promote inclusion, uh, gender inclusion within say, uh, cycling. Bearden has been on the forefront of change within the sport in this area. She has previously tested with the International Olympic Committee and USA Cycling and works with international cycling groups to promote inclusion. The IOC has cleared her for competition in women's uh, on the women's side of the things. Hmm. Bearden recently founded Transnational Women's Cycling Team, the world's first transgender cycling group. Uh, the team debuts in 2017. She said, "We're at a moment of time, especially now, where not only do we have to come out, but we have to be positive. We have to come together in solidarity and move this country in a direction that is accepting of all. Of course, not everyone is happy about her win at the Tour de Tucson. Um, they're confused by it. They're upset by it. The, some people have said that she has cheated other women out of potentially either being in the event or rising to the top of, of their respective categories. Um, Guys, how do you feel about uh, transgenders finding their way, first of all, out in public and being open about their situation and in competition?
4: Look, this is a difficult road for anyone to travel just from the standpoint of coming out as transgendered. Uh, It's just, it's an awful, uh, it's an awful experience in terms of, you know, gaining acceptance and, you know, wrapping your head around the journey you're on. I don't envy anyone that and, you know, certainly this isn't just some little lifestyle. Oh, I think I'll wear red today. Um, And so, you know, I I really feel for anyone who's, who's made that part of the journey and then realizes, oh... Um, now I've got to undertake it all over again from the standpoint of an athlete and gaining acceptance Mm -hmm. that the UCI has even taken this on as, you know, we need to look at this. We need to examine how we integrate these athletes into the Peloton is tremendous. This is one bright spot in, in terms of what the UCI does. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think with their stamp of approval that, you know, we've looked at this, we've examined this athlete, you know, we've talked to them, et cetera, um, You know, and I think some sort of, uh, you know, blood profile so that they know, okay, we've we've got this athlete here who doesn't have, you know, completely, uh, you know, say, uh, male level of testosterone competing in a women's race. I think that's the biggest single thing most people uh, are concerned about, at least in terms of what I've heard from friends and what I've seen in social media, is the idea that you know, a guy is competing in a women's event. Um, And I think that oversimplification that people sometimes look at that uh, with is uh, fundamentally the problem. You know, they need to, uh, it would be nice, they don't need to, but I'd really appreciate it if they looked at uh, just how complex a situation this is for the athlete and um, how hard these athletes are working uh, to be assimilated, you know, into this population to be accepted, and you know that they want to be out there and competing. Um, I, you know, I think it's great. Uh, yeah. You know,
1: I like a big, diverse world, and and with governing bodies paying attention and testing the athletes, the athlete then can then regulate themselves on a prescription level with hormones to make sure that they're in line with the gender. They want to, that they identify with. And so it can all be controlled. It's not like somebody is trying to just gain an advantage by saying, oh, I'm suddenly a woman. Like if Michael Houghton decided, oh, I'm going to be a woman because I want to go dominate. That's not what's going on here. The mm-hmm. person is yeah. saying, I'm on a race. I identify as this gender. Now I'm going to go get checked to make sure that I am in line with my feelings about myself. And that can be done. The IOC has the ability. To do that and has done that with with Julian in in her instance, so um, there should be no doubt there. I think biologically, what what is going on? Um, not all transgenders, by the way, dominate their sport. If you're worried at all about that, Chris Chris Mosier is a duathlete. athlete. He became the first openly transgender on a U.S. national team, and Nike ran this spot honoring Mosier. Uh, for his bravery this is chris mosier
4: morning chris morning chris is the first transgender athlete to make the men's national team hey chris how'd you know you'd be fast enough to compete against men
2: i didn't
4: or strong enough i didn't yeah but how'd you know the team would accept you i didn't or that you'd even be allowed to compete i didn't that must have been tough didn't you ever just want to give up
3: yeah but i didn't
1: Now, this year, Chris represented the U.S. at the Sprint Duathlon World Championship in Spain, where he placed 26 out of 47 men in the 35 to 39 age group. Not exactly dominating. Mosier has also been an advocate for trans inclusion in sports. The athlete reportedly played a role in pushing the International Olympic Committee to adjust its guidelines to allow transgender athletes to compete without first having to undergo gender reassignment surgery. So, hats off to Chris Mosier, too, and hats off to uh, the inclusion of, you know, everybody in, in our sport. We say, let's, let's keep it open. Let's keep open minds about um, the situation. Um, another cool thing I came across this week, guys, uh, regards the Dirty cancer, which, Fanny, I believe you
0: uh, might have on your calendar in the future. Boy, I sure want to do that race. Uh, I, I fear it, and yet I'm intrigued by it. Uh, I haven't ever read any story or talked with any person who says, "Yeah, it was a pretty good ride. It was it was pretty easy. Had a good day."
1: <laughs> it's, right.
0: It's all stories about suffering and determination, and yeah, that draws me right in.
1: And how it's about the, the, the new Leadville? Right is, is the hammer interested?
0: Oh yeah, she's interested. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've never actually asked if she's interested, but I'm just going to assume that she's interested. <laughs> so she has a great opportunity here
1: because Dirty Kansas Promotions has made an announcement for the 2017 race when registration opens up of the 1,000 spots for the 200-mile race, uh, 200 will be reserved for women. It's a step towards equality, according to uh, Kansas operations manager Leylon Danes, who conceived of the 200 women riding 200 miles project. And the race is doing more than just uh, reserving spots in this case. Dane says women face a few extra barriers to participating in these long endurance events. The DK200 actually conducted its own poll, and they found that there was still an underlying sentiment that women are responsible for more than half of the childcare and home making responsibilities, uh, giving them less time to train, of course. Women were also not as frequently raised in bicycle culture as men, so often felt less confident doing repair work, which you're going to need at Dirty Kanza. For a long-distance self-supported ride like DK-100, there seemed to be a big deterrent for women based on lack of time to train and maybe the mechanical things involved. So the organization is addressing those problems by partnering with local women's bike groups to hold mechanical clinics and seminars for women to get into the DK-200. And we say go. Yeah, hopeful sign. That's tremendous. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. It makes me really happy to hear uh, of race organizers taking not just reactive steps saying we welcome everyone, but to proactively be out there saying, hey, we're going to make some extra slots and make extra accommodations because we want there to be something closer to equality here. So, you know, bravo, Kanza. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah.
0: The
1: only thing they can't do is make the race any easier because that is a... That one is a brute. <laughs> and I don't no think yeah,
0: no women want it to be easier. And any woman who wants to do this raise wants to do it on the merits, right? Yep. Yeah. That's right. Just like you, right. just like us guys who are scared of it. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Oh yeah. Me too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Coming up, uh, we attempt to settle the great debate that is raging across this nation. Baggies or lycra? What I really liked about
0: doing a gravel event is that anyone could come, from a roadie, mountain biker, fat biker, whatever bike you have, you can bring it.
1: The Pace Line, the podcast, on two wheels to fatty uh, Patrick Brady of Red Kite Prayer. I am Michael Hutton. I'm still struggling with that fatty, a fatty of, a <laughs> of Red, Red, Kite, Red Kite, prayer. Kite Prayer. That's right. Still fat. Fatcyclist.com, by the way, folks, still exists you bet. for as long as fatty is is keeping the domain going. So you can still find things, up, but we'd encourage you to go to RKP to find all things fatty. You bet. Uh, guys, we are so glad to tell folks about Health IQ, the sponsor of the Pace Line, and a magnificent little idea, actually, a big idea, actually, because it involves insurance and how much you pay and how much you exercise, Patrick. This is a very interesting service that has, uh, come to our attention and also is now backing the Pace Line.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. A couple of years ago, when I went through my physical for health insurance, you know, once I was a dad, um... They didn't ask me any questions about how much I exercised or if I was fit or anything like that. And Health IQ, had they been around them, I, I, I would have given them my business. Um, what they do is they use science and data to fight for lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people. So it's not just for cyclists, you know, it's runners, triathletes, you know, whoever. Um, and you know it, it's it's basic science. They they have data that shows that avid cyclists have a forty five percent lower cancer risk, eighteen percent lower heart disease risk, and up to twenty eight percent lower risk of early death. And, you know, until now, it's been difficult for a cyclist to get a better rate on health insurance. Um, And the reason they're sponsoring us now is to let people know that it is possible to get better rates because of their active and health-conscious lifestyle. So they can go to Health IQ. We'll have the link uh, in our show notes. And there are quizzes they can take, and they can get quotes. Um, They've got, you know, some of the biggest, uh, biggest insurance companies on board, like New York Life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go to HealthIQ.com
1: forward slash PaceLine to find out more. Or just head to RedKitePrayer.com, find the PaceLine podcast. And as Patrick said, we'll have a link to HealthIQ in our show notes. Again, that's HealthIQ for your best insurance rates, especially if you are active and love to ride bikes like we do. Thanks again, HealthIQ, for backing the PaceLine. The Voice, American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, The Amazing Race, Top Chef. You thought you'd seen it all. In reality TV, and along came this. One of the toughest cycle races there is. Eight celebs
0: have eight weeks to take on the world's toughest challenge.
3: Oh God, I'm so screwed. There's a good (laughs) chance you'll get seriously hurt or you'll die. It's
1: going to be brutal. Tour de Celeb, Monday at 7 on Channel 5. Yeah, that's uh, a new reality show in Britain, Tour de Celeb. It's following <laughs> eight celebrities on their journey to train and ride the Etape de Tour. That's that big cyclist sportif event that allows amateur cyclists to race over the same route as a Tour de France stage. Here's the catch, though. Each participant must ride 25 hours each week in preparation for the mountainous 140-kilometer event. Patrick, have you ever <laughs> logged that kind of
4: time? Oh yeah. Yeah. I have 25 Uh, hours in a week. Wow. Yeah. That's that's stupendous. That's a big week. It's, it's a very big week and I've done it maybe a half dozen times in my entire life. And I find that absolutely hilarious. I wish I was in the UK so I could watch the show. I'm not one for schadenfreude, but this is a train wreck that will be unfolding each week. Um, it, you know, logging a 25 hour week is difficult for a really strong trained cyclist. It's not an easy thing to do and to do it week after week after week. And you know what? It's, it's an eight week thing. Um, it's, you know, you're going to need rest weeks in there. Mm -hmm. So to keep doing 25 hour weeks, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks in a row, all of these people are just going to completely break down. Well, well do, um, do you think would that be the
0: point of reality TV? I think. <laughs> well, do you think that each of those twenty-five uh, hour weeks that they are actually doing hard twenty-five hours each of those weeks? I, I bet you anything that they count twenty-five hours, including active recovery, or uh, you know, doing some weightlifting or doing other Dude, things. Right?
4: They could. They could do nothing but zone one. But twenty-five hours a week for a non-cyclist in Zone One will still reduce them to rubble.
0: Sure, sure, man. I wish it, that I wish that I was there. I, I want to be in that show. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have no responsibility but to ride for twenty-five hours a week. I would so well, be into that.
1: The the point of reality TV, as I have observed over the years watching Top Chef and some of these other shows, is not to. Uh, is not to prop up or to make a, a star out of the various people who are participating. It is to create conflict and to create dissension and trouble and put people in bad spots and see if they can wiggle out of it. So I suppose by forcing them to ride 25 hours a week, that might put somebody in, in a bit of a, of a mess and see if they can even survive it. Would be you know, it's their it's their version of Survivor. It's not really tour de celeb it's like bike survivor that's what this really is it sounds like so
4: and and you know it's not i mean the tap to tour invariably it's a hard day yeah but it's not a leadville day you know it's uh, it's not you know the markleyville death ride it's mm-hmm. it's not you know i mean there are m- the terrible too there are much much harder rides out there this is just a really tough century yeah 140 kilometers you know that's 100 miles you yeah, know, it'll have maybe maybe 15,000 feet of climbing, probably less. Right. Tour de celeb, if you can get it. It's a Channel 5, I
1: think, in, in Great Britain. Uh, Fatty, you're a dedicated mountain biker. When you mount a knobby, tired steed, are
0: you wearing baggies or lycra? Uh, lycra, 100% of the time. I don't even own Whoa. a pair of baggies.
4: Why? <laughs> wow. <Well, I, laughs>
0: yeah, I... Um, when I am riding, um, I want the chamois tied up against me, and I don't feel like I need to have anything hiding the fact that I have a chamois tied up against me. I'm not, I'm not so vain that I feel like I want to look fashionable. I just want to have the most functional possible shorts, mm-hmm. and so it's bibs, hundred percent of the time. I don't own wow. anything but. Wow. Hmm.
1: Uh, I mostly wear Lycra too, but recently I got curious about baggies and why many mountain bikers prefer them. So I searched for like a technical reason. And, and yeah, if you wear padding or ride through lots of brush, there's a practical purpose for the loose fitting short. Obviously with pads, it'll go over your, you know, if you wear knee pads, the baggie will hang over the pad a little bit. Um, if you ride through brush, you're not going to tear up your nice osos. Uh, but the predominant explanation I found was that the baggy crowd simply did not want to be seen walking around in tight fitting shorts. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah, mountain bikers, our, yeah, yeah, even though mountain bikers ride in the least crowded places of all of us, they simply did not want to be seen with tight lycra on.
0: That's straight did, up vanity, right? as far as I'm concerned.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, as this was kind of. Hanging over my head, I ran into this cool product, actually, while cruising downtown Leadville. <laughs> a company called Eleven Pine. They make shorts that walk the line between baggy and lycra. So I grabbed some time with the founder of this product, Jeff Curran. The name Eleven Pine, does that mean anything, and what is Eleven Pine? So
2: Eleven Pine is a new cycling apparel company, and the name comes, interestingly, from, I grew up, well, I love the mountains and the ocean. And hard, it's hard to figure out a name, but my <laughs> folks, they live nearby the ocean on 11 Pine Street. So that makes me think of the, the water, and the pine makes me think of the mountains. And most importantly, you got to make mom happy. So uh, 11 Pine became the name. Uh-huh. And is she happy? She is very happy. Excellent. She's fantastic.
1: So the reason why I wanted to talk to you is about, you know, there seems to be a rolling ongoing debate between mountain bikers and roadies lycra versus baggies what do i wear why do i not wear lycra why do i hate baggies you've kind of split the difference here with your product is, am i stating that accurately
2: yes yeah, so we've we've developed something that i think is revolutionary and, and can transform cycling so we've developed shorts that transform from tight fitting like spandex and lycra to more like baggy when you're off the bike. Mm-hmm. And uh, I come from this separate from both the the roadie camp and the mountain biking camp. So I think I, I grew up playing hockey and lacrosse. And particularly in, in lacrosse, we, uh, my college coach used to make us wear sweatpants when we'd practice. And then games, we'd wear our shorts. And then uh, afterwards, I did a lot of biking, uh, a lot of road biking. I do a lot of mountain biking now. Particularly, I did a lot of triathlons, and I just never understood why uh, cycling, in, uh, particularly on the road, there was never an option to wearing, um, if you want to have some performance and comfort, to the spandex, wearing the kits. And uh, so I went on an endeavor, and it took a lot of prototypes, and we developed and patented a system uh, in shorts that are truly amazing and, I think, revolutionary.
1: Describe that system. How how does it work? Since we're on a podcast here and we don't have visual, (laughs) basically describe how you have split the difference between a tight Lycra short and a baggy short. Sure. It's so simple and obvious now, but it
2: took us about 12 uh, prototypes. But what it is, it's a simple zipper system. So there's mesh paneling on the sides of the shorts and a zipper. And you simply just pull down the zipper, and it's four-way stretch fabric. It's very durable and breathable. And then on the end, we have a little a tab, a Velcro tab, because it's going to fit everyone differently. I wish everyone had, was the same body type. But we have a tab so that it, it uh, closes off on the leg. And so when you have that system down and closed, you are all aerodynamic, form fit. Importantly, which is a huge difference for uh, and why people wear spandex and why there's a problem with the, the baggies and the mountain bikers, is that you don't get caught on your seat since it is tight and form fit when you're riding. But then for the mountain bikers, it's uh, so in a sense, we're adding additional performance for the mountain bikers that are used to wearing the baggies. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the, the road bikers, we're actually adding, it's really an alternative to wearing your racing gear. Because what other sport do you wear your racing gear all the time? And, and that's really was my inspiration. Because it's, it's kind of like going skiing. And if I showed up wearing racing tights to my buddies at the mountain, Unless it was closing, you know, closing day, my buddies would just punch me. Yeah. But unfortunately for the uh, for cycling, there really has, there's never been another option yeah. for both performance, comfort, but now you also have fashion, both on and on the bike. So, but,
1: suffice to say, you've heard both sides of this. I guess it's an argument. <laughs> yeah. I don't wear baggies because that's for mountain bikers, and mountain bikers saying I don't wear tight lycra because I don't want to look like a, a goofy roadie i mean you've heard this argument right <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: yeah it's and it's it's ingrained in the cultures it's certainly ingrained in the, in, the, in the road biking culture as well as the mountain bike culture and people are very hard on, on both sides i think you'll see a drift between the two In road biking you're you're seeing bikes um, becoming more comfortable people aren't trying to just get a, a quarter of an ounce lighter now you're seeing thicker tires you're seeing more comfortable bikes uh, I think you're seeing the same thing in, in mountain biking. You're seeing you're actually seeing more people in, in lycra because they don't want to get caught in their seat. Um, you're seeing a mix of that. But you know what's also interesting is when I launched this, I was focused on the guys that it's a guy's problem. You know that guy walking around in spandex in the coffee shop and the brewery. But uh, and I wasn't even going to launch with women's shorts, but fortunately I did because we've sold out of our women's shorts already. Uh, I just launched two and a half months ago, so women. Women have the same need and desire. They don't want to be walking around all the time, and you know, in, in the in the coffee shops and the breweries, or even if they're hiking or, or, or doing other activities. Which is interesting with our shorts, but people are doing everything. They're not just cycling, but they're also they're running, they're hiking, they're rock climbing, they're swimming. Um, but I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry to no, bounce no, around. it's okay. But it's uh, the women. Uh, I I found a need in the women too because they don't want guys just be looking at them walking around in spandex all day too so
1: well i'll I'll further that that business you know topic you've brought up i mean there is no reason to go into business especially the clothing business without an idea right so you at least sound like somebody who's put a solid idea first and not just oh i'd love to be in the clothing business this is a this is an idea this is something you said there's a need here and i'm going to try and fill it
2: Exactly. I I think it helps. So my background is not in in the cycling apparel uh, or even apparel. And I think that helps bring a completely different perspective. I'm fortunate. I live in Boulder, and I I have a few uh, or actually about four people that used to work at Pearl Zumi. And so I think combining us, we were able to change uh, what is done. Because if you look at, if you go to these uh, expos and everything, everyone's doing the same thing as everybody else. And I think for the first time, we're able to step back and uh, do something different and meaningful. And I think it's going to have a big impact, not only in the people in the coffee shops and that tension with the public (laughs) and people within themselves, but also just on the streets and just because people see people in their racing gear, you know, there's, you're not in a race. You want to, we want to get as many people out there on their bikes, enjoying themselves and sharing with others and sharing it after the ride. And that's what biking to me is, is all about
1: yeah now of course you know you've opened up a whole another can of worms here <laughs> yeah. jerseys yes. what are you going to do about jerseys so we uh
2: well i'll have to give you but we are designing and we're prototyping uh some jerseys so uh, again we want to make them technical high performance extremely comfortable um, both on and off the bike, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we're what we're going to do with the jerseys. Yeah, and
1: then hopefully arm warmers, leg warmers. You've got a whole there's a whole yeah, gamut can, of things to try and sort out. Body and... armor there's stuff down the road, but you have started with exactly. shorts. Now, exactly. if I were to pin you down, and you had to choose, you had a pair of baggies sitting there and a pair of lycra. <laughs> yeah. Could you?
2: I'd go. I hate to say it. I'm, I'd lean towards the baggies, um, unless you are unless I am in a race then I'll go with the, the Lycra, mm-hmm. but um, I'm, I'm about comfort, and if I'm not in a race, you know, we're, we're actually thinking of advertising that after 30 miles, we're a half second slower. If you really care about that, okay. um, then so be it. But uh, at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're not going after the guys that are, are racing every day, right. you know, and the guys that are racing, they're not, you know, 99% of the time they're, they're training. Right. And, you know, that's why swimmers wear, uh, you know, they wear their drag suits. It's other athlete, Every other athlete wears, they're not wearing their racing suit and trying to be as fast as they can just to go out for a great ride and hit it hard and enjoy it with your friends. Well, good luck with the product.
1: Thank Here's you. to finding the middle ground and hopefully settling a long and bizarre argument about <laughs> what people it should wear. Bizarre.
2: As long as everyone's happy and getting on their bikes and enjoying that uh, that's most important. Right. So, Michael, thank you, thank you so much. Right. Thank you. again
1: that was Jeff Curran, founder of Eleven Pine. Um, they, you know, it's a small company still. They just have a uh, two pairs of shorts out right now, two models: the Crank It Up and the Uprising, one hundred forty and one hundred thirty dollars respectively. That comes with a liner. It's hundred bucks under hundred dollars actually without a liner. I've been wearing both models. They're great. Um, the crank it up is a little tougher, more mountain bikey, you know, better if you're in a brushy situation and then the uprising is a lighter weight, more, uh, uh material that would be more suitable on the road. Although I've worn them uh, mountain biking well, again, it has a zipper down the side, right down your IT band that allows the shorts to open up or close. If you want them tighter, uh, a tighter fit, a little more of an arrow activity and then a little Velcro strap at the bottom. Um, around the gripper area that that further tightens the short up great great product great idea could use a little a little pizzazz in there I think needs a you know some some coloring he 's gone with basic gray and black right now um, now despite jeff 's attempt at being nonpartisan, the video on the eleven Pine website does take a funny swipe at the liker crowd
4: <laughs> We could go home and change out of our kits first
0: we could take us no time at all but we won't instead we'll walk right into that crowded cafe dressed exactly as we are right now in this super functional but hideously
4: form-fitting spandex it won't be awkward for anyone despite the fact that even in my limited peripheral vision i can clearly see every nook and cranny of your manhood Uh, again
1: that's uh the 11 pine crowd (laughs) having a little fun with with the lycra crowd um, guys, um, I hope we've uh, opened your minds up to, to wearing baggies. Patrick, I don't think I, I checked in with you. Are you. Do you have a pair of baggies in your wardrobe?
4: Well, yeah, I do. I mean, the funny thing for me is I want to show up wearing whatever everyone else is wearing on the ride. <laughs> and so if I show up as the only guy in Lycra and everyone else is in baggies for a mountain bike ride, I feel silly. <laughs> and conversely, I don't want to be the only guy in baggies showing up when everybody else has their team kit on. Uh-huh. Um, so, I mean, this really appeals to me.
1: Huh. And I, I'm the opposite. I love showing up um, in the baggies when everyone else thinks it, it's a Lycra ride. I go, oh. And they look at me like, what What are you wearing? Oh, it's, a, it's a pair of comfortable shorts. That's why.
0: And I show up wearing bib tights because they work all the time for every single ride.
4: <laughs> I keep <laughs> bib tights on always. I just have baggies on over them.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. In fact, the the liner that comes with the 11 pine I generally because it's not a bib type liner mm-hmm. I generally go with my own bibs underneath and then wear the 11 pine shorts as an outer when I do wear them but it's great in fact if it's a little cold out too it's a great way to add a layer without putting on knee or leg warmer so I'm digging yeah. the baggies
0: and he I'm makes digging. a great point at the end you know as long as you're out there riding you know if this if this is what you know gets you off the fence Fantastic, Have for it. I'm, I'm not saying that my way is the only right way, although it is. Um, it, <laughs> <laughs> if, if uh, you know, whatever it takes to get you out on the saddle, right? Have a great time.
1: Yeah. All right, Fatty. We'll get you in a pair of baggies yet. Right, coming up, a, a new cream that aims to cut off a pain of lactic acid. That's next on the Pace Line.
3: I can totally see every millimeter of your disgusting undercarriage. Looks like you've got a human brain attached to an eggplant
4: down there. But I thought this outfit was discreet. Oh, it's the total opposite of discreet. Indiscreet. Yes. bordering on repulsive.
1: The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty, Patrick Brady and Michael Houghton, still struggling with the Fatty a Fat Cyclist thing, but I'll, I'll get it right soon, promise you. Fatty of Red Kite Prayer. I got something in in the mail the other day, something called a topical edge. Patrick, what is this cream I have been massaging into my legs?
4: (laughs) It's almost sci-fi stuff. Um, This company, uh, Ampersand Biopharmaceuticals, has come up with a cream that will deliver um, uh, sodium bicarbonate directly to your muscles. So it does it subcutaneously through your skin and to your muscles to buffer lactic acid during really hard efforts uh i got on the phone with jeff byers uh one of the people with um with the company um helping to promote topical edge and we had a really interesting conversation so jeff um you know i've had a chance to use the product now and um you know i've read the materials that you sent i'm curious though i mean your background is not as an endurance athlete. Tell us a little bit about what your background is and how you came to get involved with launching this product.
3: Yeah. So I am not an endurance athlete. Like you, like you mentioned, I am a, I'm a former professional football player and, uh, I grew up loving to ride my bike, loving to ski, loving outdoors. I'm a Colorado native, um, through and through. And, uh, I got introduced to this company. I was in a whole different career path after I retired from the NFL. I was in the financial financial industry sector and uh, working for a, a multifamily office in LA. And I decided to take a very different shift in my career path. And uh, I got introduced to uh, to my partners at Ampersand BioPharmaceuticals, which is our parent company. And they uh, they had this really compelling technology. And this technology was to deliver things through the skin. Um, and they had this crazy idea that, Hey, we can get non-drugs, non-medical things. Um, we can leverage the skin to to do, to do just that. And, uh, I was, you know, me being a former professional athlete, I was as skeptical as anybody at first Uh and, uh, really dug into the science we were doing on the medical side of the business and, uh, came to believe in it. And then, uh. And they asked me to come in and be a, be a part and help launch this, uh, this idea that we had. Um, and that was about uh, 11 months ago. And I would say the, the, you know, they, the idea came about a year ago. So my CEO and co-founder is uh, a guy by the name of Ryan Beal. He's an MD, biochemist um, by training. But he's also a, he's a very competitive age grouper triathlete um, when he's in shape. I'll uh, I'll give him that, and uh, he had this idea when he was laying out all of his goo, his nutrition before a a training ride, that what if I'm I'm getting drugs in, what if I can get nutrients in the skin as well? Mm -hmm. And that was his epiphany, and that was really the birth of our sports performance businesses. How can we get molecules, can we get molecules with our proprietary patented technology? Um, and leverage the skin, and can we get them to affect muscular performance and athletic performance and, and the answer to that question is yes and so we took sodium bicarbonate baking soda, which is a buffering agent, and combined it with with our proprietary technology to form this product we call edge which is um which is a sports performance lotion that we 've shown to to buffer blood lactate, which is pretty incredible
4: remarkable uh i mean it's it, it seems like so many of these uh Uh, these new things that get launched are, you know, some complete brainiac who also happens to be an endurance athlete. You know, it takes, it takes someone who really knows the opportunities out there knows the science uh, to then link that with, you know, the need, uh, you know, the particular needs of endurance athletes, you know, so many of the gains that have been made in terms of, you know, uh, sport hydration, you know, have come about in the same sort of way. Um, you know in your own materials you you reference gatorade um so now let's talk a little bit um about the product itself so it delivers sodium bicarbonate um through the skin to the muscles and uh you did some uh some testing on this why don't you tell tell us a little bit about the results that you saw
3: yeah so so our our third party independent clinical test that's um a, a little medical clinical talk with a double-blind, placebo-controlled crossover study, which basically means it's a it's a very well-designed study to prove statistical significance. Right. Publishable, um, publishable yeah. Publishable if, if uh, it's IRB approved, um, which is independent re- review board. Um, and so what uh, what we did was we went out to say, can we can we lower blood lactate, right? By taking blood, can we show that there is a chemical shift in that? And uh, we, wanted to, uh, we, we wanted to put athletes through the rigor. We, we did it on um, what I'll call very competitive cyclists, um, well-trained cyclists who, you know, ride four to six times a week. Um, and we put them on the bike, and we put them through the exact same test twice um, and measured blood lactate levels. Uh, and and what we are trying to see is what is the difference and uh, And we showed that we were able to uh, to lower blood lactate by almost 18 percent on average So it was to be exact 17.8 percent reduction in blood lactate, which uh, which in uh, In in normal talk is is considered lactic acid,
4: right? Right or pain pain, the burn, <laughs> yeah, the um, burn. And so you you came up with uh, you know you quantified those gains in terms of time and wattage. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so so we, we showed
3: in our test um, we did not show statistical significance in time or wattage, and that was not the the purpose of the test. The purpose of the test was really to to have people do a very similar, um, bout workout, um, with, with that similar, th- with a similar threshold to show that the decrease or increase in blood lactate. And so we did show, um, what I'll call directional, um, data with, uh, with both time to completion, um, of, of the time trial in addition to improved wattage, but, uh, again, that was not the, the purpose of the study. Uh, we would, uh, we are doing, uh, uh, we are enrolling for the next clinical trial where we are, our focus is to show improvements on power, on speed. Uh, we're going to do VO2 max, all the, the whole array for a much larger, more in-depth study on, on edge, but we do know the implications for lowering, um, lactic acid or blood lactate. What, what does that mean for the athlete is, as we know, when you can do that, what are the implications for – call it the competitive elite cyclist. It's, it's improvements in performance. It's improvements in recovery, as lactic acid plays a, a, a large role in both of those. And uh, when I think about what does it mean for the weekend warrior, which I always consider myself these days, um, it means that I can enjoy what I love a little bit more. And I love to – I'm an adventurer. I love to ride my bike. I love to get on the mountain – um, I love to point my skis downhill and, uh, if I can reduce the burn and, uh, and, you know, enjoy being out of my saddle a little bit more and, and feel better the next day so I can do it a little bit more. That's a win for me as a weekend warrior for the elite competitive athlete. Back when I was a professional athlete, it was, how do I get, you know, one 10th of, of a percent more out of my body? So it's, it speaks to black, the gas and speaks to, to everybody who, who enjoys, enjoys to ride, run, whatever it may, may be. If, if you know how to push yourself and you enjoy, you know, going to, going to the extreme, um, it's, it's a benefit to you.
4: Yeah. Remarkable stuff. Um, so you sent me some just in time for the gelati cup, uh, a series of cyclocross races here in Santa Rosa that happened this past weekend. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I went in with an open mind, but I wasn't sure, you know what i would see if i would see anything that i thought was more or less conclusive and i got my answer uh after the very first night of racing uh friday night i had a 40 minute race and uh according to my wahoo element i spent 30 percent of that race uh more than 12 minutes um in zone five that's between 163 and 171 bpm uh for me currently um it's uh, an amount of time in that zone that I haven't seen all season. Um, and so it was It was a sort of thing. It was like, okay, that was somebody else. I must have been recording somebody else's bike. That couldn't have been me. Um, and, you know, the entire rest of the weekend uh, was pretty similar. Not quite that drastic, but even on Sunday's race um, at a point that I should have been pretty well done. Uh, pretty well fried. I still had um, a remarkable day on the bike. Um, you know, I can't say that while I was out there, I felt like um, you know I had stellar legs. Um, but you know, looking at the data afterward and knowing what I'm typically like, um, I I don't I don't have any discomfort saying that you know yeah this made a difference for me. Um, it was remarkable stuff. Now you advise people to put this on between fifteen and thirty minutes prior to your workout or race. You say you only need one application per day, but practically speaking, you know if somebody's doing um a grand fondo and they're going to be out there six, seven hours, will this be you know effective for six hours?
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, um so those are those are all great questions. So like you said, it's edge is a, is a lotion, you apply it topically. Um, to your active muscle groups, pre-ride 15 to 30 minutes um, is is about the complete absorption time. And so, when we talk about how long it lasts, that's a, that's a really great question. And and scientifically, I can't say that we have conclusive data on on the effect of it. What I what I can tell you anecdotally is we have uh, we've had a handful. No, we have a lot of people who ride centuries with it. Um, and they have done half Ironman on one use, um, which are, you know, in that four to five hour range. Sure. And now we also have, we had three people in Kona, um, at the world championships use edge and they applied pre swim and they applied in T2, okay. um, is, is the typical, is, is the typical thing. So if you're, if you're getting off your bike and you're on hour four or five, um, reapplying edge is not going to do your, do you harm? It will actually, you know, it, it will help because we do know that you're going to, your body will eat through sodium bicarbonate, eat through that buffering ability of, of edge, um, at some point in time. Sure. And whether that's in the first two hours or in the first four hours, the great thing about edge is if, if you use it early on, you're creating more room to buffer later on. So there's still a benefit for just putting it on once in a very long race because you'll have effects, you know, an hour eight or nine because you've eliminated some of that lactate buildup early on. um, And you, so you have more room later on. But if, if you're doing a long, a long ride, a long race, and you're getting off your bike um, or, you know, if you're doing the Leadville 100 and Hey, you know, 20 seconds to put, a little more edge on and uh, you know, halfway through, it might save you three minutes on the back end. Um, you know, I would say that would be a, the athlete's judgment call, but I know guys that are training for the Leadville right now that have edge. And that's, that's their plan. You know, they, you know, they're very creative and thoughtful on how they spend their time and they, you know, they get obsessive. off their bike to make sure they're pro yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they make sure they get off their bike to make sure nutrition is right. Sure. Um, And, you know, they don't, they don't see this as any different as, Hey, if I, you know, if I don't get nutrition, right, I'm going to bonk. Um, and that's not something they want to do and do That costs causes the 20 seconds it takes to do it. Right. Is, is worth it. So, um, long-winded answer of, it's a great question. It lasts multiple hours. We do know that we have guys writing centuries on it on one, on one dose. Um, so I, I, you know, And I can
4: see how, no, 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 that's a, it's a a perfectly valid answer, you know, to the question. I can see how, you know, the more time you're spending in the red zone, the more likely you're going to need to reapply should you have that window. So that's, yeah, perfectly understandable. Cool. Well, the natural question here, Jeff is, okay, uh, now we've got people interested, uh, where do we tell them to go to find it?
3: Yeah, so we uh, in the last month and a half we've launched into into bike retail, um, right? Meaning, meaning the local bike shop. Mm-hmm. Um, we made a very strategic decision early on when we talked about launching this that we wanted to we wanted to be in the retail space and we wanted to be a part of the community as we believe, you know, given given um, my co-founder and CEO's background in, in endurance sports, so that's that's an integral part of of this community and the way to build a business in this community is to be a part of the community um so so we're launching in local bike shops we're currently in um four geographies southern california utah colorado and uh and the south southeast i would call it area so tennessee atlanta tennessee georgia the Carolinas um, is where we're launching into. We're bringing on a couple other groups, but we're also uh, available online at uh, topicaledge.com. Um, and so, you know, if your bike's st- going to your bike store, ask, ask them if they have it um, as we're, you know, we're just getting out there and, you know, we'd love we'd love for your bike shop to carry it and love for you to go online as well and whatever, whatever is best for you. But we know how important... cycling community is um to everybody and we want to be a part of that we want to be a part of the bike shop and, and be good stewards to that as well
4: that's great that you're supporting ibds uh i know that'll be uh you know welcome uh a welcome message to our audience um you know and certainly we work with a lot of people who are uh still focused on that channel uh for availability so that's awfully nice jeff Uh, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate you doing this interview with us. Um, We will be in touch.
3: Yeah, thanks, Patrick.
1: Again, that was uh, Jeff Byers with Topical Edge. He's actually the general manager of the consumer division for that product and obviously one of the great thinkers behind it, Patrick. Interesting stuff. Um, You've obviously had some good results so far.
4: Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, you know, you don't really feel that different out there. It's when you look at the numbers later because you still end up going all out. You know, you go until you can't go any harder. And, it, and then it's after the fact that you look at the numbers and goes, at, you know, my, my Sunday race at the Gelati Cup, I averaged 241 watts uh, for a half hour race, you know, on the third day of racing i just i know myself i'm not capable of producing that ordinarily and it's yeah. because i didn't burn as hard i could go a little uh i didn't burn as bad i could go a little harder
0: now Hadi, yeah. have you tried it yet
1: i i tried it on one ride i didn't compare uh you know data um mm-hmm. ride data um but i did put it on one morning and went for a ride and I, I, all i can say is you know i felt a little better than normal um uh, I went for a f- on a familiar climb on a familiar ride, and I seemed to do just fine. But I think Patrick's right. The way to, to honestly compare it, because cycling just hurts, <laughs> and whether you know you're hurting at one level or another, if you can just raise raise your speed in, in relative to how much you're hurting great. And I think that's what this product is trying to do. They're not saying you're not going to be in pain. You're going to be in pain if you go hard. It's just you're going to be able to go harder or faster in this case. Right, Patrick? That's kind of the theory. Exactly.
4: You know, as Greg Lamont said, you don't hurt any less. You just go faster. Right, exactly. Uh, Topical Edge, as Mr.
1: Byer said, is in stores. In fact, I've seen it in one of my local bike shops. Sweet. And of course, uh, available online. And we'll have a link at Red Kite Prayer if you want to find out more about topical edge. All right, let's get to our paceline picks. This is our chance to disseminate useless info on an individual <laughs> basis. I take issue with that. <laughs> uh, don't. <laughs> take us away, Fatty.
0: All right. My paceline pick for this year is the Kuat NV 2.0 rack. And I have two reasons for that. One of them, and I think the most important is, uh, c- uh, about a year ago, I went on a... Hunt, you know, just normal consumer research for what hitch rack did I want, and eventually, based on what I saw, really on other riders in the Utah areas, cars, I went with uh, the the Kuad Envy because it holds bikes really well and it has a, a great mechanism for getting them on quickly and it uh, folds up against the tailgate really nicely. And it would just is a nice-looking rack. And so I got it, and it was such a great choice. I have just loved having this rack. So the Kuat NV, that's N-V. Um, and the 2.0 version, which I do not have, has uh, corrected some of the difficulties from the first version, mainly making it easier to fold up. Um, for your, your point of leverage is better, and it has a nice little foot pedal assist now. And a couple of other refinements to the original version. The other reason that I wanted to make this my paceline pick is in the uh, WBR Grand Slam that I am, or that we, I, we are having right now on RKP, there is a Kuat NV 2.0 rack. That will be given away, and this is a—I think it's like a $700 rack, so super wow. premium. Um, you can pick w- whether you need the uh, the, the two-inch uh, hitch rack or the one and a quarter. I think is the other, whichever size you need, uh, mm-hmm. they will give you. And it is just—you know—I you know—I I, you know, bought this rack regular retail after doing a lot of research, and I've never liked a rack so much. So that's why I approached them, saying, "Hey, would you?" Donate a rack for this contest. They said, we love WBR. We would love to donate a prize for this. So kudos to them for that. So Mm -hmm. great rack, great prize, great cause. Go donate some money. Get a girl on a bike in Africa, change a life, and maybe, just maybe, you will get this rack. We'll talk more about other prizes, including a super-duper dream bike, in other episodes of this podcast. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep, great-looking rack, and the other thing I love about it is some of the models come with a built-in work stand on it. Yes, Very the 2.0 cool. does have that. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, love it for that. I love the spelling, K-U-A with the double dots over the A-T, Kuat. Yep. Uh, Lou Bates, guys, became the women's Great Britain Hill Climb champion in the town of Matlock. Bates was the only female to post a sub-three-minute time on Bank Road in what was her last hill climb before retirement. Her bike was pretty damn interesting. It was a second-hand Cervelo R3, size 48. It weighed just 5.3 kilograms, or 11.5 pounds mm. She ran Ultegra DI2 without a front derailleur. It was a one-by setup with a 36-tooth uh, front ring, and then she bouncer shifting between three gears in 18, 19, and 21. The bars weighed just 150 grams. The saddle, 90 grams. Rotor cranks, look pedals, Vittoria tires, brakes by curve. But here's the deal. First, as I said, the frame was secondhand. Second, the entire build was bought on eBay. Bates <laughs> says her boyfriend gets most of the credit. Surfing eBay, looking for parts, getting the build together. Uh, A uh, note on that uh, use of DI2, by the way. Bates said her year prior, her hands were so cold, she blew some shifts, and it cost her time. So she went with electronic shifting to make it easier on the hands. So my pick, the eBay bike that won the Hill Climb Championship in Great Britain. Wow. All right, Patrick, you're up.
4: Uh, So I've just put up a review of the brand new book, Greg Lamont, Yellow Jersey Racer uh, by Guy Andrews. Um, and this is a book that every rabid cyclist is going to want to own. It's over 300 pages on Lamont. And as I put in my review, this is evidence of a crime. You know, we're 21 years, uh, past, you know, when he last raced, actually maybe 23. Um, but you know, it's been 25 years since he was last in the yellow jersey how is it it's taken this long for a definitive look back at his career uh just an awful crime that we've been made to wait this long but uh guy andrews of rouleur uh is the man behind this book it's incredibly thorough uh takes in the whole of his career uh there are a number of photos in it that have never been published before uh so that alone is worth the 45 dollars that velo press is charging for this Um, it's just a tremendous book. I'm absolutely in love with it. Oh, and Gearheads will love it as well because there's a look back at most of his racing bikes, certainly all the ones from his professional career, as well as a Cinelli from when he was an amateur. Mm-hmm. So what's the layout like is it
1: is it largely pictorial or is there a narrative or is it first person how how do they do the book well,
4: um you know it's a it's a fairly large format you know hardcover book you know kind of classic coffee table style uh it's heavy on photos but there's a lot of text <laughs> okay. there you know it um it's a thorough look at what his career was it you know it goes back and digs into his results um and so you know it's um uh I guess it's, you know, it's kind of the perfect look at Le Mans career in that if all you want to do is look at photos, it's got photos. It's got photos you've mm. never seen. Um, and it's got photos from races that you've seen, but you haven't seen these images from that race. Um, and then if you want to read more about, you know, who he was as a racer and, you know, why he was kind of such the naive American in France, you um, you know, why, you know, was playing, you know, such head games with him, you know, you get a lot of that. If you're curious about him as a technical innovator and his use of aero bars and, you know, his taste in bikes, you get that as well. So it doesn't really matter. As long as you're interested in Greg Lamont, you're going to get something out of this book that really is going to be very satisfying. Cool. Something for the reader and something for the Instagrammer
1: and all of us. That's great. Pictures and words. We love that. Uh, That is another edition of The Pace Line in the books. Uh, Anything else from you, Fatty? Uh, Just
0: happy to be here, man.
1: (laughs) So am I. I'm happy that you're here. And we're looking for more posts from you on Red Kite Prayer. Patrick, what assignments have you given uh, your new
4: contributor or yourself for that matter? Uh, Well, I'm really psyched about the Grand Slam. You know, this is Fatty's party. It's just my backyard. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so I'm I'm just so stoked to be a part of this and to be able to lend a hand with it. Um, I'm a big fan of World Bike Relief. I've never done anything with them at all, uh, partly because I just I didn't really know where to start. I didn't feel like I had the horsepower to you know, really make a difference. And so to finally have the opportunity to help him do some of the good that he's already been doing, I'm really pretty honored.
0: Oh, that's great cool. of you.
1: Uh, Check out the Pace Line on Red Kai Prayer. Links and notes pertaining to this show um, are along, uh, are there, rather. And, of course, you can always leave us us a comment. The Pace Line can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. Subscribe and rate us, please. Okay, time to clip in and go for a ride. Baggies or Lycra, we don't care. (laughs) Be good to each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Maybe we should turn around.
4: Man, we are really lost. No, wait. I recognize that crater.
1: (laughs)